Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I am talking with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District, Steve Pierce. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. In fact, I'll just tell you that we got our first batch of roasted chilies in the house yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Cynthia and I froze a bunch of those. We ate some, gave some away to friends. My granddaughter walked in and said, this smell. She said, this is New Mexico, isn't it? And I said, this is New Mexico. So roasting chilies in the fall, nothing wrong with that. That's another reason to leave New York and come to New Mexico. But apparently a lot of people are leaving New York. Tell us why. Well, you've got a tremendous article in the Sons of Liberty online publication, Michael Snyder talks about it. He says, escape from New York, that the wealthiest residents are fleeing New York in droves as the city degenerates into a hellhole. And so his article goes on to explain that 420,000 of the wealthiest people have left New York in two months, 60 days. That's 10% of the population, according to his article. But if you look at the wealthy areas, 40% of the wealthy areas have evacuated. They're saying we're not going to put up with it anymore. If you're watching closely, you're seeing the governor plead with him saying, I'll buy you a steak dinner. I'll buy you a drink. Come back, please, please. He understands that that 1%, the 1% of the wealthiest families that have already left are cutting the revenues from taxes tremendously. That 1% of New York's population pays 50% of the taxes. So when we hear on the streets that the 1% is not paying their fair share, the actions by the governor right now would tell you they're paying more than their fair share. He's pleading with them to come back. It looks like that they could be $30 billion in the hole in the state's budget. Meanwhile, the mayor of New York City is oblivious. He's saying, I don't want the 1% back. He, in fact, is spending $197 a night to put the homeless into those luxury hotels that have been empty because tourism has shut down. And so he's paying tens of millions of dollars to put the homeless there. Now, forget that the homeless could qualify for all the programs in the country. They can get food stamps. They can get housing allowances. They can get Medicaid, they can get welfare, and still they can't make it. And so the mayor of New York says that we're going to put them here. There are known sex offenders in this group of homeless that he has put up in the hotels. One of the hotels is very close to one of the main playgrounds for youngsters in the area. And so people are alarmed. They're alarmed that the crime is out of control. 244% increase in just the last month. They went from 88 fatalities, 88 murders last year to over 244 this year. Wow. So I misspoke earlier. It is 177% increase from 88 to 244 shootings. And so people are scared for their lives and they're fleeing to where they can find stability. Now, this continues a pattern. I've spoken often that Detroit was one of the first major cities to say that we're going to accept the liberal control and that we're going to buy into all the progressive policies. So that was about 50 years ago. Detroit, in the last 50 years, at the point they accepted this progressive mentality, they were the largest city in America, and they were the richest city in America, and now then, they're bankrupt, and they have dropped 60-something percent of the population. In addition, all the wealthy people have left. They bulldozed thousands of houses trying to get the housing oversupply into balance. And so that's what we see. We see the same policies wrecking the economy of Venezuela. 
50, 60, 70 years ago, then the same thing happened in Cuba. A once thriving country that had jobs for everyone, had abundance, had prosperity for the last 50 or 60 years since Castro took power, has not had any jobs and has no prosperity, has lost all their freedom. And the huge Cuban population in Florida is because they've gotten away. They voted with their feet that socialism is no good. And so that's what brings us down to today. You have just literally people saying that we want to go to socialism. I don't think they understand what it is they're saying they want to go to. So just look at New York and understand that you have a tremendous problem brewing because they're adopting the socialist policies of the mayor. He has cut the trash budget by $100 million. So trash is now piling up in the streets. Uneaten food is piling up in the streets. Now then rats are coming back. They've seen raccoons in the city limits crawling out of the trash cans. He has cut the police budget by $1 billion. And so these are the policies of the left. And again, the mayor seems unconcerned. He isn't going to change course. You know, the sad thing is that in the 70s and 80s, New York went through a very similar period of time. And then Republicans got elected. They began to clean up the city. They began to restore the safety to the streets, restore the pickup of trash. And so seeing New York make these choices again and go through the same problems they've had before just disheartens people who just want to live stable lives. They want, of course, a good job. They'd like to have their kids in good schools. But New York is saying, we don't want you here. New York City is saying that. New Mexico is going to face the same sort of an outflow. We can't stand it. New York is going to have a resilient economy. They can lose the wealthiest people and still somehow hang on. But here in New Mexico, when we lose the wealthiest people because of the socialist policies of our governor, then understand that we don't have that great resilience in our economy that they have there. When this governor shuts down the oil and gas, then we know that New Mexico has a long, hard road ahead of it. In 2018, New Mexico had 3,509 more people move out than move in. According to Robert Radigan, Associate Director of Geospatial and Population Studies at UNM, the migration piece is what separates us from our neighbors. Our neighbors recovered from the recession, and we didn't. People left for better economic opportunities. And speaking of of the oil and gas, the Republican Party of New Mexico is having a dust-up right now. On Sunday of this week, the Albuquerque Journal published our op-ed, which called out NMOGA, the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association. Their executive director came out this last week and endorsed Sochi Torres Small and said that she's been a great friend of the oil and gas industry. The truth is that she has voted with Pelosi almost every time. She voted to impeach the president, and she's now saying that she's totally in favor of the president. And also, she voted for a measure which would allow future presidents to just ban fracking, which would, in essence, kill New Mexico's oil and gas industry. And so when the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association came out strongly in favor of Sochi Torres Small, we decided we could not sit on the sidelines any longer. You know, when your friends begin to do things that are harmful to the friendship, then you should really question the entire basis of the friendship. And that's what we do in this op-ed saying that the Oil and Gas Association has been politicized by this executive director and a couple of the lobbyists that they hired. They're not supposed to be in these political contests. They have a political arm that can be involved in those, but the executive director is not supposed to involve himself. And so it appears that he may have jeopardized their 501c6 standing. And so we will 
watch as that takes place. But I think that myself, I think that uh, the executive director should be called on to resign or they should terminate him. He's made this sort of mistake before, and I think this election is too close, too important. In fact, Ben Ray Lujan came out this week and said that if Sochi Torres Small does not win re-election, it's going to put every race, including his, in the question mark column. He is beginning to believe that this state could very easily turn red because of the way that he has represented the state, the way that other Democrats have represented the state. So we just have a tremendous amount of political work going on by the Republicans in New Mexico, but we are taking time to call our friends out when our friends do things that are very harmful to to New Mexico's long-term health and economic well-being. We will be back in just a moment with our special guest, who I am looking forward to hearing from right here on Inside New Mexico. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil slash employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with the chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, Steve Pierce. Derek, as I mentioned in the last segment, we have a special guest, a new friend of mine, Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones is a state representative from Georgia. He's a Democrat. He's a black Democrat and came out supporting Trump. So, Vernon, welcome to the program. Before we get into all the political things, I want our listeners to know just a bit about your background. Well, thank you so much. And you are my friend, my friend. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm honored to be on your show. And if your listeners later on want to follow me, they can always follow me on Twitter at Rep Vernon Jones or Facebook at Rep Vernon Jones. But let me tell you, I'm just like you. I'm just like most Americans. And in fact, in terms of our values, I was born and reared on a farm in North Carolina, a four room cinder block house, no indoor plumbing. My parents were third grade educated. They were farmers and they taught me the importance of hard work being faith-based. The government doesn't owe you anything. As a matter of fact, if anything, they wanted the government to stay out of their lives so they can enjoy their civil liberties and and just be able to to be whoever they wanted to be without government intervention, you know, in terms of law and order, but just taking care of their family, worship the First Amendment, Second Amendment. Obviously, I'm a strong Second Amendment advocate. And so I was fortunate enough to be among that first generation to go to college. I attended an historical black college in North Carolina in Durham, North Carolina Central University, and uh, was later moved to Georgia, went to work for corporate America. Bell South Cellular at the time, and I had a distinguished career in corporate America, and then I went on and I got elected to the Georgia House of Representatives first in 1992. I served eight years there. I then got elected to county executive. I served eight years, two terms. I was term limited, which is a county executive is a strong mayorship form of government or executive form of government at the county level. After that serving, I ran for the United States Senate. I lost in the runoff. The Democratic Party did not support African-Americans for statewide offices. They just wanted us to run in majority black districts. And so they were totally against me running and supported my opponents from Harris Reid to Chuck Schumer and to Democratic Senatorial Committee, all of them, in 2008, and even had Obama to come out and take a stand against me. But I later returned back to the legislature in 2015. I've served for the past 
four years. I've served on various committees from appropriations to health and human services, insurance, public utilities, special judiciary. So strong background in those committees. And I got to tell you, when I, like many others, we saw how the Democratic Party have started to go so far left, being hijacked by liberals that have no sense of the First Amendment or the Second Amendment, but also where they just lost all ideology of the traditional family, in my opinion, wanting the government to intervene too much. Now they're supporting Marxism and socialism, and it's just it's just too much for me to stomach. And so I've always enjoyed a, a bipartisan relationship. I always worked on the other side of the aisle. I thought it was important to serve the people. And I got to tell you, when I saw this president, President Trump, in just three and a half years, provided a result that the Democratic Party and the Democrats having for the past 30, 35, 40 years, and then getting 90% of the African-American vote. I said, something is wrong there. But then also I saw this president became the jobs president. I mean, just three and a half years, he had record low unemployment, not only just for African-Americans, but for everybody. I finally saw a strong leader stand up to these other countries who are not paying their fair share and make sure they start paying their fair share, whether it's through NATO or even through the WHO, where he's saying, hey, you're not going to get our funds anymore, especially the way you lied about the pandemic crisis coming from China. Speaking of China, the way he stood up to China with terrorists, where everybody knew that all the presidents knew that China was taking advantage of us, but would never stand up to him. And this president stood up to China and brought him back to the table, but also re- renegotiating the NAFTA agreements in Canada and Mexico, because they were not fair trade agreements, they were unfair trade agreements. And that, coupled with how he has handled historical black colleges, restoring funding and writing it into law, those schools were the breeding ground that still are for many African Americans to achieve in art, science, and engineering, and politics, and there was a need for them when, when historical majority colleges didn't accept black students. And so... He understands the nature of those institutions and preserving them. This president has a solid track record of getting things done, and how can you not be supportive of this president? Do I agree with everything he says? No. But I can tell you, unlike Joe Biden, who had a nerve to say to African-American voters who've been just been a captive audience for Democrats, that you ain't black if you don't vote for him. Well, first of all, ain't sounds too jive to me. He wouldn't say that to a group of white women or white men. And then he wouldn't say to women, you're not women if you don't vote for me, or say to white men, you're not white men if you don't vote for me. But that's how they feel about African-Americans. That's the bigotry. That's the history of the Democratic Party as it relates to African-Americans. And they've had that stronghold for so long. But now those days are over. That wall is cracking. And more and more every day, African-Americans are coming out and say, wait a minute, you're no longer going to take our vote for granted. You're going to have to produce. Now, let's go ahead and play that clip. We're going to listen to the MSNBC anchor, Craig Malvin, ask a question of the representative. Are you a paid campaign surrogate? Are you being compensated? By the- Let me be clear. You get paid to shape a liberal narrative. You get paid to attack this president. I don't get a dime for this president. I don't get a dime from the campaign. Everything I've done is in me and based on my principles. Well, that was an interesting exchange. First question is, do you think, Representative, that he would have asked you that question if you were white? Well, he wouldn't have asked me that question if I were white. Republican or Democrat. He asked me that question because I'm black and I'm a Democrat and I'm not supposed to think for myself. I'm not supposed to have the intellect after 30 years in politics and a college graduate with some country walking around since 
that I can't decide based on policies or based on the position that this president takes on issues that I can agree with and I can support. And so that's part of the bigotry of the liberal media, who's an extension of the Democratic Party, to keep African Americans on the plantation. If you come out with an independent thought, you're going to get attacked. Just so our listeners know, we're talking to Vernon Jones, Democrat state representative from Georgia. Now, our listeners need to know that in the last two to three weeks in New Mexico, I finally decided that we, as the Republican Party, do a very horrible job of outreach into the minority communities. And so I began to invite conservative blacks that I knew, not all Republicans, not all Democrats, but I invited them to be voices. And so I guess what I'd like to get from you today is what should those voices be saying publicly? They have been on a multitude of interviews. How would you advise them to speak? You know, it's more than just conservative black. They're moderate black. It's not about being so conservative as it is just being an independent thinker. Look both ways before you cross. We've been trained to look only one way by liberals, and that's the way we've looked for the past 50, 60 years. And that's why you have Joe Biden, who served for 49 years with nothing but failure with everything he's done. And certainly going to the crime bill that he wrote that locked up and incarcerated and separated thousands of black men and women for crimes where the time wasn't commensurate to it. And so thinking independent for one and two, don't worry about swimming upstream. Don't worry about swimming against the current. Any fish can swim downstream, including a dead one. A salmon swims upstream. So be a salmon. Stand up for what you believe in. Be that voice. Others feel that way. I know it all the time because I get calls even from Democratic elected officials. Bernie, you're right. I'm with you. I can't say anything because I don't want to be tarred and feathered, just like I have my white friends who want to support Donald Trump, but they don't want to be called a racist. Well stated. I will make sure that we transition our thought across from conservative thinkers to independent thinkers, and uh, those are important voices no matter what demographic they come from in America today. Folks, we've been talking today to Vernon Jones, Democrat state representative from the the state of Georgia, a proud supporter of President Trump. God bless you, Mr. Jones, on your way to your service as a state representative there. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you so much. Again, your listeners can reach me or follow me at at Rep. Vernon Jones or at Rep. on my Facebook page. Look forward to it, okay? Mr. Jones, we certainly appreciate it. Have a great day, and thanks for being on with us. Steve Pierce and I will return in just a moment on Inside New Mexico. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. We are talking with our chairman of the Republican Party, Steve Pearson. Steve, there is a video out of Speaker Nancy Pelosi telling us how to do what she does. Please explain what we're about to hear. Well, I got to experience this firsthand many times in office. But Nancy Pelosi explains it in detail, and we're going to play that video. She says, first of all, you put out a lie, you put out a smear, and then you're going to merchandise that smear. Then the press is going to pick that up, and they're going to run it, and then you're going to get other press outlets, which will then run and repeat the same story. 
So we realized after a certain time that you had to get to and correct the story within minutes of it showing up. If it was even an hour later, then someone else would repeat it. And then the initial outlet would go and change the story and they would correct it. But the second one that repeats it never has to correct because they simply say that this publication over here said that. And they did. They don't ever have to come back and say that it was corrected. The initial publication has to correct it uh, according to truth and veracity. And so then everyone quotes that second source saying, well, that this journal said that journal, that he said this or he did that. And so it is basically how they smear and how they make the lies become truth. They call truthification. Fiction turned into truth. So listen to Nancy Pelosi. You demonize, and then you, it, we call it the wrap-up smear. If you want to talk politics, you call it the wrap-up smear. You smear somebody with falsehoods and all the rest, and then you merchandise it. And then you write it, and they'll say, see, it's reported in the press that this, 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 and this. So they have that validation that the press reported the smear And then it's called the wrap-up smear. Now I'm going to merchandise the press's report on the smear that we made. It's it's a tactic. A great discussion is going on right now with the executive order that was issued by President Trump over the weekend. Basically, he said we're going to cut taxes for the working people and we're going to go ahead and, and continue $400 a month supplemental payment from the federal government. The states will still pay unemployment, but President Trump signed an executive order that says we're sympathetic to those people who are not working right now, and we're going to pay them 400 a week on top of what the state pays them. It was 600 before, and even in New Mexico, we're finding people who could not justify going back to work. They're getting 52000 a year on unemployment. Well, unemployment was never designed to be that kind of a safety net, and so the president rightfully adjusted that down just a bit. Then... He also took the step of uh, saying no to the Democrats. Democrats were saying that he had to pass some bill in order to do these things. The president researched the law and found out that he could do many of the things by executive order. But he went ahead to point out what it was the Democrats were pushing for. They're, number one, pushing for states like New York. We talked about them in the first segment, that we need to put $30 billion into New York's budget to make them whole. Then, secondly, we need to bail out all those pensions in the states where they've overpromised in their pensions and they've underfunded them. And so all the pension systems across the country are in deep red ink. And Nancy Pelosi was trying to get that in our trillion dollars, get all of those union pension systems fixed. That was something else. The president said, no, there's not enough money in the world to cure those problems. And then they were also, the Democrats are pushing for an open border to let anyone come in. The president is saying, no, we can't do that. We need the jobs that we have for people who live here, the people who've made their lives here. We're going to take care of them first. If we need people, then we'll bring them in on this legal, orderly immigration process. And so that's what the president basically said no to all of that and signed into law the executive order that cut uh, taxes and kept the unemployment compensation going. There are so many news stories that the problem out of Beirut, we saw that huge explosion. And I, for one, am very distrustful of when everybody gets on the same theme, that it was just a storage of nitrates, some fertilizer that had been confiscated decades ago. 
and just been allowed to sit there. The president initially came out and said it looked like some military operation. The media has tried to paper over that and cover it up. The Middle East countries are saying, no, no, this was just just fertilizer that was sitting out there. And so it'll be interesting to see how that story actually develops. In New Mexico, the Albuquerque Public Schools, one of the most ineffective school systems in the state, one of the highest dropout rates in the state. And they're now saying they may not go to school all the way until the end of the year and that even beyond that is on the table. They express concern that the teachers and students might get sick. There's been no effort by the Albuquerque public schools to keep those same students and the teachers away from the big box stores. Certainly, if they're in a big box store, they're going to be more congested than they would in the classrooms. And so you just continue to say nothing here is making total sense in what they're doing. As we wrap up on the Albuquerque public schools discussion, I saw a meme that really does hit the nail on the head. It says when the government lets you go out for groceries and you can go out for hardware, And yet that same government dictates that you have to have vote by mail. You can be very certain that they're not exactly worried about your safety from the COVID. So I think that states it well. Finally, uh, looking at the governor, we as the Republican Party have tried to be respectful, but we also tried to point out the many, many things that are just not working about what the governor is doing, the way she's destroying our economy. And that economic destruction is destroying the tax base. That tax base is going to destroy the ability of the state to make its payments. So you had three resignations in the last couple of weeks. You had the secretary of DFA, the director of finance and administration, suddenly just take off. She's been gone since early June. Then the secretary of health left on July the 24th, and they're the ones in charge of the public health orders. And then you have the state epidemiologist leave. He's the one that has been in really close contact with all of the research on COVID and the responses of the state to that. And so all three of those people left within about a month of each other. The spokesman for the governor is trying to put a happy face on it saying, uh, you can't say they're jumping ship because that is a pejorative. It talks down about the governor. So you can't, number one, say that. Never mind if it's true. You just can't say it. And he says, all of them have personal lives to live. And we respect that they've got personal lives to live. Well, they had personal lives to live when they signed on and before the governor began to make many of her decisions. So we'll let that sort itself out. But uh, again, Derek, every week becomes more noteworthy and more newsworthy. And so thanks to our radio stations for airing these programs. And thanks to you each week for your production. Inside New Mexico has become a talking point for many. We love that people are really talking about what's happening across the country and inside New Mexico. Thank you, Steve. And I do want to remind our listeners to please stay engaged with what's happening with the Republican Party by going to the website at www.gopnm.org. You can get the latest news, upcoming events, information about elected officials. You can also hear previous programs of Inside New Mexico. The party has a Facebook page and a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. Remember, the Republican Party of New Mexico is always looking for volunteers to help them with their mission to win New Mexico for President Trump and turn the roundhouse red. You can call Republican Party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. I'm Derek Underhill. Steve Pierce and I will look forward to meeting with you again next week right here on Inside New Mexico.